going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Wow, that was great. <laughs> I, the last time I listened it's to this... It's hard. It is hard. The last time I listened to it, I was like, wow, I, I sing so high. You sing and so, so high, Russell. So nasally. You sang as high as the hills. Um, so, hello. We're here for part two of Feelings or Facts, which I warned you about this week. I told them today. I said, next week is it. It's oh, happening. Great. So bring, well, your, good, bring your books. Good, good thing we're Hard and soft cover. We're doing Russell it. and I have no idea where we stopped last time. <laughs> <laughs> I know we stopped before the first like dance performances. And we refused to go back to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, do, do you want to catch him up on anything? Um, you have one more show. Two more shows. Oh, I have four T's twice. Oh, that's nice. But I guess by the time this is out... Out, I will have had. They'll be. Oh, I'll be done. Everything's over by the time this comes out. You'll only there'll only be a couple days left of the City Valley season. Yeah, um, yeah. I, just, I my my season's almost over. The and you did it season. all on like a somewhat compromised knee. Um, yeah, which is not not Incredible. ideal. You both biffed and didn't biff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was I. I made up for my bad with a good. With for my bad Walpurgis knock double tours with good Swan Lake double tours until I did then did a, a Swan Lake special bad double tour. It was a special double tour for sure. I don't know if it was bad. It was really special. It's well, a I double tour that's never happened. I definitely did it thinking I was going to go backwards and went forwards. You went both backwards and forwards. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate finishing variations when it's like the audience is definitely confused mm-hmm. by the ending like. It's better to end with a, a clear I meant to do that and I've I've had many a variation end on kind of a wobble and then it well Patrick wasn't confused and he's like a, a normal audience member it's true he didn't know anything went wrong no which is great I, I mean you wouldn't know unless you knew right <laughs> my mom said that she th- could kind of tell she was like it looked like but she's it, seen you do a lot right my mom said it looked like maybe that's not how it was supposed to end <sighs> <laughs> yeah, my impression was like <laughs> that you got to the final devil tour and still had not decided what kind of devil tour it was going to be. No, what happened was <laughs> I like right before my preparation, I saw a test in the wing and earlier that day she had told me that she likes that ending. And I was like, when I saw her, I was like, now I know I'm going to mess it up. And then I messed it up. Really like that devil tour of four. Well, because because it usually ends with a double soda box to the knee. But I can't do that right now with my knee. Right. So uh, Rebecca came up with that ending for me. Well, I guess she's mad at you now. <laughs> she, she I don't think she was there. You ruined her choreography. Um, I don't think she was there. But yeah, it was my last show with Tess. Mm-hmm. Look, there's my mom in the water. Reed has this really great screensaver on his computer that's just like rotating oh, photos. Oh, there's you. <laughs> there's me, yeah. In the Mark Morris locker room trying on a jumpsuit. Yeah. In fact, I was supposed to show a picture of that to someone recently. Who was it, Sean or someone was like, I said, oh, someone asked me like, oh, have you ever, do you ever make like regular clothes? And I said, oh yeah, I made a jumpsuit for us once. It was when we were at dinner with Sean and, um, Alec. Alec, yeah. Nice. But I didn't show it to them because just, then you came back from the bathroom. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um... Uh, so, to, what page are you going to start on? <laughs> no. Well, I feel like you should talk about the, oh, 
What? Me? Why am I responsible? Well, because I feel like you know more about the dance part of her life. That's not true. All I know is from that Judson show. That's basically all I know from, too. Oh, okay. Um, it's not like Yvonne's work has been being widely performed in the 2000s, you know? Right. My mom, wasn't it fun in the book when it gets to the part about the show that you cried in? Oh, yeah. Because my mom, your mom, last what, night. What, the Grishnikov show? Yeah, your yeah. mom last night was like, you know, I, I said, oh, Russell and I just finished reading um, Yvonne Rayner's memoir, and she's like, well, sh- should I read it? I was like, it's actually really good, and it, it's like about New York in this, like, over this huge period of time, and, and she was like, I said she made, like, postmodern dance, and your mom was like, well, what's that mean? Like, what's that like? And I kind of described it, and she's like, you know, I once brought Russell to a show that sounds like what you're describing. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. I must have described it really well. Yeah, really. And she was like, and he cried, and I had to take him home. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the story of my childhood, crying and my parents crying. having to take me home. I had to take him home. Um, okay, so here, I'm just going to pick a place. Where are you? Page 206. So it's in a letter. Um, there a lot of the book is Yvonne Rayner writing letters to, especially to her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, her very handsome brother. Mm-hmm. And so this is a paragraph from one of the letters around the time when she started performing. Um, about um, dancing and Jimmy Waring's work, James Waring works. James Waring's work. Oh, no, we talked about this last time. 206. Ugh, sorry, we talked about this last no, time. No, that's okay. So, I soon realized that I was not only able to handle most of the stuff he wanted me to do, but could dance it well. He was actually giving me material that within the limitations of his particular idea of dance in some way brought out my own peculiar nature and feeling about dance. In other words, I was able to bring my own personality into play in carrying out his ideas. Mm. I think this is one of the secrets of any halfway decent choreography. Somehow the situation, being accepted as a dancer, being accepted as a creative person, being accepted as a likable person, brought out the best in me, and I responded with high good humor and appreciation. How nice. Yeah, to like, to perform and actually affirm yourself, you know, be like, I yeah. did a good job. Yeah. Like, I've, I've made some progress. I, and I think that what that's such a, especially for someone who makes dances, I think that's a pretty unusual perspective on what makes for good choreography that it allows for something for the performers rather than it being just about the dance I mean not unusual I you know I guess we were talking about Pam earlier yeah I mean Yvonne I think had a big advantage from having started so late that she came into dance training and dance viewership with adult eyes right and got to kind of have a a more mature perspective on it that that gets kind of warped when when you've spent a childhood doing it. Well, and also such a... It wasn't a purely... It's like her artistic perspective was being developed at the same time as her dance perspective, mm-hmm. which is so not like when you're a kid, unless you, I guess, are a very well-rounded child. I mean, wow. Like, dance kids are, are like the definition of not well-rounded in general. Yeah, I definitely you, wasn't. Because well. you were such a dumpling. <laughs> such a dumpling. I was. I was. I was literally well rounded. You, you had all round edges. I was. Yeah. Um, 
Wait, we should skip ahead a little bit, because I think you talked about already... I basically, I think we got to chapter 11, page 233. Great. The plot thickens. Yeah. Um, Okay, I highlighted something. I think it just meant that I didn't understand what that means. Uh, I have nothing highlighted here. Honestly, I didn't, like, have as much about in the second part of... Oh, I actually read this passage, so we're past this. I read the the passage about the um, the domestic bliss with Bob Morris and the casting of the vagina. Oh yeah, and the oh, fart. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Oh, do not apologize to these people. <laughs> <laughs> um, aesthetic rebellion. I really just don't have that much underlining. Me, not in this part. We did already get past this actually because I remember talking about. This photo and Bob Morris's legs and okay. The there, I know I said this last time, but there is like a fair amount of this book where I'm like, I should have done been doing other readings along with it. So research, I, yeah. Uh, even a Wikipedia would have helped. But <laughs> I, I didn't do I, I it. There, like I should have looked up more of it's more okay. of the artworks that are being referenced and. I, I kind of wanted to watch a new Von Rainer. Film. Well, that's what my pl- my hope was that I was going to go to the Performing Arts Library and watch some of her excerpts from some of her films before we talk today because, like, I know that you struggled or <laughs> you struggled with the film chapter. I did. I, I like, I didn't read for a while because I was like, I right. can't do this. But I actually enjoyed it and I, 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 now I really want to see those films. Yeah, by the end I did too, but I don't, I think what it was that I had a, a problem or what I had a hard time with was, um, God, what did I have a hard time with? I'm sorry, I'm so dark. What did I have I had a hard time, I have a hard time when, it, I, I think what it was is like when she was explaining what her films were doing and was then referencing academic writings about her films. Mm-hmm. I I found that language difficult. And I, I think it's hard to like for artists to talk about the work that they do, especially when they defined some sort of movement in a way. And it seems like she really did was, you know, a main, um, you know, a main player in like defining feminist film of a certain era. Totally, which and, is like a topic I know nothing about. Yeah, so. literally nothing. And I, I mean, same. And I've I, seen like some Chantal Ackerman stuff and otherwise I'm like, I have no idea. I haven't even seen that. I that, know that name. Look, I went to grad school and that's all I know. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think sometimes like have it, I think I would, I think it was hard to like, for me to read someone talking about their work, which also meant talking about a movement. I don't know right. why. I think I don't know. I I was maybe a little too judgmental of that. But I remember like listening to Richard Serra talk about his work, and I'm certainly not comparing them as artists. But I mean, why not? No, well, I don't know anything about him. I don't either. But it's like you know, time period wise. Yeah, but I had a hard time listening to him talk about his work because I was like, because I find his sculptures really impactful and then to hear someone hear him articulate what he thinks is impactful about his work I didn't particularly enjoy oh interesting was this on a podcast or something no I think I listened to it one time when I saw you know it was like a type in the number at a museum and listen to someone talk about it wow or maybe it was on a podcast well I have to say like you turned me on to these recorded New Yorker articles but I I find like I wish they recorded all of them 
They don't? Not at all. No. Okay, so that's our New Yorker if you're listening. <laughs> Please, just do all of them. Okay, so now we're in this area where she's starting to give herself parameters and she's making some of her most famous conceptual work, like the mattress work. And um, and then we get into this part where she says that a, a piece of writing she did has come back to haunt her in terms of like her her press clippings, etc. Or her... What's that called when, when, what's that called? You know, when you get press and you say, oh, my such and such has come in. My notices? My notices. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that like old timey Hollywood? Well, Yvonne is old time. So I'm going to read the No Manifesto because I think it's really useful. You didn't do this last time. Oh, no. <laughs> I literally... Because I know I, you I read it. I don't think so. Okay, okay, great. Did I read it? No, about... no, maybe we just talked about it. Yeah, because I think... Look, if we read it last time, it's worth hearing again. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't think I read it last time. Okay. But anyways, I found it really interesting for an artist to lay out a series of refusal. Refusals. Right. You know, like, I wanna, I'm going to make something... And these are the things I'm going to avoid. Right. Right? Yeah. And I think that can teach you something by... by I think parameters are really useful in mm. art making. Right? Because if you're just making... If you're making things into a vast expanse of nothing, it's like, where do you get? Nowhere. Yeah. One of my... My, my friend Michael Tucker, who I went to SAV mm-hmm. with, who lives in Dresden now, the first time he choreographed a dance was at SAV... And I asked him what it was like, and he told me it was everything you want and nothing you need. <laughs> everything you want and nothing you need. And he was talking about the experience? He was, he was, no, he was talking about the dance that he had made. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually, but it was, it, that made it sound like what you were talking about, just like pulling on everything. And it was actually very like refined and I structured. Think conceptually, that's an amazing way to begin something. I want to present a piece that only delivers things that people want and nothing they need. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like pouring candy all over everybody. Right. Which is a beautiful idea, right? Yeah. What's it? I wonder if there are any pieces that are like everything you want, nothing you need. So many. There's so many. I mean, do we have to name them? Yeah, I want I want us to name them. Oh, okay. Do they have to be from your repertoire? No, they can be whatever. Oh, like I think for a lot of people, and they won't know this, they wouldn't be able to understand this. <laughs> I'm being so mean. <laughs> um, is like all of David Dawson ballets. It's like everything you want, not that I want, but everything that a lot of people might want in terms of their value mm. system, of like people with beautiful bodies making gorgeous shapes and mm. doing, doing virtuosic feats, and it's nothing you need. Right. Absolutely not. Um, his Yeah, I think those dances are vacant of necessities. Mm. <laughs> I remember Peter did made a piece when I was in the school called Free Andes or something. Oh, that is the dance. That's exactly conceptually the dance. It's everything you want. I remember being in the school and it was like Tyler Peck was, you know, her first year in the she company. And it was like. I, it was like we were at a baseball game. Absolutely. We were like, we were, I've never been more thrilled to see someone. Yeah. And like, you know, everyone just did whatever trick they had. It was just like, I think there was one section where literally every person came out and did their trick. I recall it vividly. It was like 
John Stafford did like double tour to the right, double tour to the left. I was like, that is quite a trick. And Savannah Lowry did a double soda bus. Yeah, she did double soda bus. And then I think Craig Hall did like a soda shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I don't, I mean, I've thought about like what would my step be in that situation if a choreographer was well, like, what's I know. your biggest Lately, trick? Lately, you better do a double tour <laughs> to a lunge. <laughs> or a double tour falling. Yeah. That would be my trick. Falling out of a double tour. What would be your trick? I mean, I'm, you, you do double cabrioles. It's impressive. Do I? Well, you did last night. Or sort those of. beaded, beaded things, whatever those are. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I can never do a double cabriole. Yeah, but like, then, then there's like Roman in the company who does like... Right, like Tetsuya Kumakawa double cabrioles. Okay, let's not talk about ballet when Sorry. we're talking about Yvonne Rainer. Um, okay. No to spectacle, no to virtuosity, no to transformations and magic and make-believe. No to the glamour and transcendence of the star image. No to the heroic. No to the anti-heroic. No to trash imagery. No to involvement of performer or spectator. No to style. No to camp. No to seduction of spectator by the wiles of the performer. No to eccentricity. No to moving or being moved. It's funny the no to camp thing because I, I think some of her work now I think would be thought of as campy maybe i honestly don't know <laughs> I, yeah i know i'm saying that like i've seen it some of the descriptions I'm like, of her um can someone get susan sontag on the phone <laughs> to confirm but I, I mean like wow the heater is noisy sometimes it does that and i worry that Lurgle, something really bad is gonna it's happen about to burst yeah um the camp not that not that her work is campy but i think that there's but i imagine so many people have like repeated what she's done at this point that it's like Right, like the performance of austerity or like the performance of non-performing. Right, or like doing... Off as, is like it, in and of itself like a, a, a joke of what is postmodern dance. Right, like doing a quotidian task very seriously yes. in an art space. Yeah, with, like an, I aus- feel like that's kind with of an austere now. facial right. expression. Yeah. One thing that there's... She talks about doing um, the mind... I think she's talking about doing the mind as a muscle in kansas city is that what okay maybe a solo called the mind is a muscle part one. Oh no continuous project altered daily uh-huh and she talks about wow that section was fascinating about them experimenting about that, on about, stage about that piece in particular and how it progressed and how it brought up all these issues of like leadership and control yeah. well i yeah i thought that was um I was surprised by how I couldn't I mean it seems like they couldn't figure it out either but like what the parameters were of the of the work and what someone was allowed and wasn't allowed to do I guess that's kind of a time when I would have liked to know like what where did they start when they went out on stage like what was the starting point like we're gonna meet up in this or like we know these phrases that we rely on or something right well I think that was part of the excitement of it is that they were prepared in terms of having various materials they could utilize right right? but it was unclear like how that would play out and who would do what and when i like the idea that you'd come to work with an idea to like surprise the people you were on stage with yeah but then i i think that 
that becomes a certain kind of that brings a certain kind of performative energy that right. maybe wouldn't be helpful in the situation and like a power dynamic because then you're really exerting a kind of control right then you're like everyone look at me but i but i feel like like if we were in a piece like i would come up with ways to make make you laugh laugh. (laughs) but that's what then this she writes she talks about that she said never i repeat never had i seen anyone or experienced myself laughing so heartily during a dance performance it was an unbelievable release and high because she because deborah hollingworth um oh no Oh, no. Barbara had donned one of the body adjuncts that had been constructed by Deborah Hollingworth as optional costume accessories, feather, wings, a lion's tail, a global hemisphere, a hunchback. Mm -hmm. Catching sight of her in the hunchback, which she had inserted under her T-shirt, I burst out laughing. (laughs) She met my eye and also began roaring with laughter as we continued traveling. But then it sounds like laughter became a part of it where they like did manic laughter at each other. Right. Which then starts to sound a little bit like affect, you know, like not as... I mean, the kind of laughter you want to see on stage or experience on stage is the kind that is out of control. I When is the most out of control that you've ever laughed on stage? There's a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's really bad. I mean, I've gotten in such trouble, but... Um, uh, okay, so one time at the Guggenheim in a dance by Chalet... We did a dance called Behind Resonance, which is a game where um, you indicate to people through shape that you're ready to do a certain kind of duet with them. And then they would come over and do that duet with you. So <laughs> there's this element of like timing and chance that right. happens. And it's just to this like John Tavener score. It's all very crazy, like because it's so austere, but it is in fact a game. So this woman, Joan Wadopian, who I'd gone to college with, was really, really tall, was excited that I was in the group now because I was tall, and she could do some of the duets that she previously hadn't attempted. Right. So I indicated that I was ready to do this, like, kind of upside-down cartwheel thing with <laughs> oh, her. No. She came on over in, like, her velvet tube dress, and she literally, like, cartwheeled into my hands and farted, <laughs> like, quite loudly. <laughs> and... The people upstage of us, it, like I, it was like Jessica Harris and Andrew. I could hear them start laughing immediately, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and so then I like I was I felt sensitive to Joan because I didn't want to like laugh at her. <laughs> so like we got through the duet, and then I went off stage, and I had then to do an entrance with Jessica where we're both topless, and okay, <laughs> do you know this story? No. Oh my god. So Jessica, okay, so imagine I'm like crawling out into the space forward and Jessica is leaning against my chest with her arms just in midair and I'm pushing her. You're crawling? Maybe. Like crab walking? Something. Like basically we're chest to chest and I'm supporting her weight. And you're like crawling on arm, hands and feet. I don't remember. (laughs) I don't know if I'm actually on my feet or if I'm crawling, but... But I'm supporting all her weight on yeah. my chest. And she's her, she's naked. Uh-huh. So I... She is still thinking about the fart. <laughs> and her, her whole body is shaking. And her boobs are shaking against my body. And then we are hysterically <laughs> laughing as we are this, like, two-headed monster coming out <laughs> onto the stage shaking. So that was a bad one. Because Shenmue is very sensitive to that stuff. Was it in that small theater downstairs? Yes. Oh. 
Then, so everyone knew. Not good. <laughs> I think the hardest I've ever laughed on stage was in Villagers in Capellia. Uh-huh. And I was dancing with Lydia Wellington. And I don't even remember what was funny. But I laughed for an entire, like, eight-minute dance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you looked like you were having a blast. <laughs> I, who knows? Who I knows? love that. That's my favorite. When I was... Yeah. When we were doing Sleeping Beauty at Pacific Northwest Ballet, everybody was wigged in the whole production. Uh-huh. It was a wigged production. And in the third act, we all had white wigs and gold shoes. And so where um, <laughs> the bluebird was also wigged, and in the middle of the male variation, a street Sejanadi's wig came loose and flew off. <laughs> and I looked across at Eric Underwood, who was a time at that time in the company, and everybody was kind of like, oh, like started to sort of smile and snicker, but Eric excused himself behind a pillar (laughs) and when he emerged a good like minute to two minutes later his face was covered in mascara because he'd been been crying crying so hard behind the pillar and then i really like lost my mind it was like there was a lot in that production where i was like laughing my ass off but also terrified because like Uh, yeah i was trying to get hired right anyways okay going on yvonne we're, we're talking about yvonne so she goes through this incredible health situation. Oh, yeah. Where I re- I was like, she and me both. I mean, yeah. where her gut started to kind of just reject her body in a way. And a lot of it had to be removed. And she started to get terrible infections. In very, like, scary ways. Really scary. Yeah. And she'd be in the hospital for, like, weeks at a time. Um, but somehow she got through it. And in... in subsequent photos it doesn't look like she has any scars where i'm like oh what's going on maybe they did it really low or something. maybe i i i thought a lot about like how much she lived how much she survived like she there was a suicide attempt there's so many things that it seems like lucky that things timed out well for her and you know and but it didn't like getting getting some of her like gut infections when she was in colorado having to be like airlifted to a real hospital i mean it was like it's true yeah it was bad yeah like she was so unwell for so long that would make me want to kill myself too yeah it was a heart that that sounds incredibly difficult yeah it's interesting to hear someone write about it from such distance too because there was something very like matter of fact who knows whether like who knows why i well, with her suicide attempt, it was like, who knows why I tried at this moment, whether or not I, re- like, registered that someone would walk in at this time, whether or not I actually meant to, you know, right. to complete, complete suicide, but... It didn't work out. She lived. She's still alive. Indeed. <laughs> um, someone wrote her a nice letter about them dancing together. I just want to say, oh, Steve Paxton. Mm -hmm. He said, at the end of it, he said, and how to fall in love with each other's work without a chance to see it, even in performance. I miss seeing us dance. I thought that was... What what is that in regard to? I think it was when they were all dancing together. You know, all their early performances started out with each of them doing solos and then them all working together. I thought that was... I kind of, I think about that sometimes. Like, when I'm really caught up in the season, I don't watch other people dance all that much and how or I see it from a very specific 
right. angle and I don't understand, you know, I don't appreciate what it is that's happening. That particular group and that particular construction of art making where they, they were kind of housed in a space regularly and they were all kind of growing up together as artists and seeing each other's work all the time and being a part of each other's work all the time. And I wish there were more kind of structures like that nowadays yeah. where there's this kind of support from everybody, not towards just one goal, but towards many different yeah. goals. Well, it sounds like maybe grad school is like that sometimes. Yeah. And I guess like downtown dance is still a little bit like that where like a lot of people are making work and performing in other people's work and, um, and that we have various structures that support the making of those works. But it's just like, they really were in a space where money was not an issue. Well, because there wasn't, there wasn't money and New York didn't cost any money. And then suddenly all these artists started receiving government subsidy and grants and, um, so life became a little bit both more complicated and easier, you know, I think they right. had the luxury of different kinds of spaces and different being presented in different ways. But it also meant that they weren't together all the time. They were traveling and teaching and it changed. Right. I guess that happens. Yeah. To the best of us. I have something like something started about when she like starts to move away from dancing mm-hmm. is that too soon um i have something highlighted what is this it's the letter to somebody she's meant to write a 1500 wait oh where she just writes about herself <laughs> 1500 words about jill johnson and then yeah and then she just writes about herself yeah and then at the end <laughs> At the end of the letter, she writes, if this isn't 1,500 words, then I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, how did you count words in the olden days without that feature, which is called what? Word count? Word count. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't know how to find that on my computer, but... I like that one of the uh, conservative dance critics said... Um, someday there will be a real murder in one of Yvonne Vader's dances. <laughs> <laughs> and then good. another asked why That would make are... me really want to go see him. Oh god, no. Oh. Another asked why are Judson dancers so dead set on just being themselves? Mm. I thought that I I didn't like get I that made me so sad. Do it again. Why are the Judson dancers so dead set on just being themselves? Right. Well, to come from the perspective of people who are just so accustomed to seeing a fantasy of some kind or um, a certain kind of performance, an expectation of performance when you go to the theater. Yeah. You know, where people become something more, something to aspire to. I guess I... I think it's an adjustment to, like, go see a show where people are just being themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess mean, I always, like, think... That's what we want. Right, I guess I always think that you can do that within more formal things, but I recognize that that's, like, a product of me being within a certain right. thing. Like, I know that I'm not myself when I'm out on stage, but I find that disappointing that though I might feel 
but just like doing something with your body feels so much like it's you that Mm -hmm. it's like disappointing to then realize that people aren't actually seeing you in a way they're not because you're not saying what it is that you're thinking or feeling you're trying to project it out of your movement you know and it feels so clear to you because it's deeply embodied but people looking it becomes object right which she writes about a little bit she said she says i had started to talk about how as a dancer the unique nature of my body and movement makes a personal statement but how dancing could no no longer encompass or express the new content in my work i.e emotions dance was not as specific meaning wise as language there's another dimension to all this that excited me no end when i thought about it dance is ipso facto about me the so-called kinesthetic response of the spectator notwithstanding, which only rarely transcends that narcissistic, voyeuristic duality of doer and looker. I'm, I'm lost, but it's, uh, <laughs> whereas the area of the emotions must necessarily directly concern both of us. This is what allowed me permission to start manipulating what at first seemed like blatantly personal and private material. Mm. Um, yeah, she said that in writing or like using words that she feels like able to connect about well what i didn't understand is to me that sounds more specific rather than oh no that's right that's what she is saying yeah i think yvonne yvonne's trajectory into text and eventually into film was about finding greater specificity right or like having more tools with which to communicate something more activating you know because i think her work did take on more a more kind of political um quality as time went on mm-hmm. um what i was gonna read i thought this was a funny passage um i had grand and i think it's like very re- pertinent to what <laughs> a lot of sort of conceptual or postmodern choreographers are dealing with nowadays <clears throat> where she said I was stuck. I had grandiose fantasies of Jacques D'Amboise appearing at the end from nowhere to do Bravo Trio A. Next in line, <laughs> my fantasy dance was Merce Cunningham. I became obsessed with this idea and eventually proposed it to him at a party. He laughingly declined. I finally did it myself in tap shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but if Yvonne was like, I mean, look, Trio A is still being done, but I feel like if the Joyce were like, well, we're presenting like, well, you know, Sarah Mearns, which they are. Yeah. They'd be like, if Yvonne was still more present than she is, I think that that would happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, but she did it with Brishnikov in a way. She did. Yeah. yeah. That became more the norm as time went on. Yeah. Anyways, I thought that was funny. I was like, that is now. I was like, ballet people doing these things. I, at one, <laughs> at one point she wrote. She writes, I was euphoric at becoming a lesbian. And, and in the margins, I wrote, I would be too. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, um, who wrote this nice letter to her? Dear Yvonne. Oh, Deborah Hay. She said, once again, let me congratulate you on your total devotion to truth in the body. Oh, now that letter was from John Bernard Myers. Um, I thought that was so nice. Yeah. Truth. I, this is kind of a more general thing, but... I think it's it's so interesting how so much of her life she tells through affairs or through relationships to certain men in particular. Mm-hmm. Until then, which she 
talks about the woman that she's in a relationship well, with. Well, I mean, but, fascinating that her whole, like, the first basically, what, 55 years of her life, she was in fraught relationships with men. Yeah. That were so unstable. And then she got in a relationship with a woman, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess more what I meant was I I like the the fact that she def, that she tells her life her art the story of her artistic life in a way through her relationships I found striking like I was it's like is that what people mm. do do now like when they tell like I guess people write about relationships but it is sort of the matter-of-fact way in which she talks about things that I think a lot of people would maybe feel too guilty to write about. Or yeah, she's so, like... She's not apologizing for these things. Right, for or for have And it, it's not like a... There's no, like, I... Looking back now, I see how it wasn't good for me. It was like, this is the relationship I was in. Mm. And these are the dynamics. And mm. this is the way I was upset. And this is the way he was upset. Right. And that's a... I guess so. I mean, I I guess she kind of acknowledges it at the end in that last chapter when she's like, I'm re- only writing until the 70s, right? Yeah, basically. And then she does continue. She writes about what happened after. But it's but like a real hodgepodge. And I love that she's like, the reason I can't do it is because, like, I don't have any more, like, letters or journals. To draw on, yeah. Right. She's like, I just saw, like, emails and phone calls and I didn't, you know, that. I don't have that yeah. information. I don't remember. And she's like, I'm really only doing it because people told me I had to. Totally. <laughs> I deeply relate. I'm like, I don't know what what happened. Yeah. But she has a mental break around the time when she's kind of breaking up with Bob Morris. This paragraph is very disturbing. Um, she gets back from a trip to Boston where she's auditioning for an agent. A well-dressed man passing by saw me and approached. He said he was going to a Democratic fundraising event. Would I like to come? I started to take off my clothes. He said, oh no, don't do that, don't do that, and fled. I took off all my clothes, folded them neatly, and placed them on the plank beside me. And then she, she so she's outside. She's in public. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, what happens after this? Does she end up, she ends up at the psychiatric ward at Bellevue. <laughs> she's really done a lot (laughs) that's true she was there for only three days Bob came and got her out um she's working with this group of people what is this oh there's a section about kind of censorship in a museum where Steve Paxton was meant to dance nude and the museum forbade it. And rather than kind of stand by Steve and and um, taking a stance against censorship, she, she changed it. And this is when they started doing it in flags? Yeah. And had the show performed. Um, I think the flags actually, they wouldn't let them do it because they were always doing it naked behind the flags. But right. then they wouldn't allow that in some spaces. So, you know, she basically says she wanted she wanted the work to be seen more than she cared about taking a stand. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool. That's fine. It's fine. Sorry, I skipped way ahead. Because I didn't really, really have did. much that I... 
this is the part of the show where you get to um, just think. Think with us. <laughs> yeah, think with us. Think with us. I, this, is, this is like um, up ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when she's talking about her films. Um, but there's something that made me think about um, Miguel Gutierrez's essay mm-hmm. in Bomb Magazine that's really good about um, whiteness and abstraction. Okay. But this it's in a, this is a footnote in Yvonne Rayner's memoir. She says, I must here refer to Carrie Lambert's observation with which I concur in her essay, Other Solutions. The lack of race consciousness by white artists during most of the 1960s, which would have allowed whiteness to go unremarked, points to the blind spot of the periods focused on the body as a neutral phenomen- phenomenological entity rather than a socially defined one. Neutrality was already internally compromised in Rayner's work of the 1960s. The neutrality was compromised... Because neutrality in her work was equated with whiteness. Right. It was all white I see. Bodies. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Right. It can't be neutral if it's going to be that specific. Right. Um, we're not editing out any of these silences, so I hope you're, I hope you're getting used to it. <laughs> Hope you're crafting. Oh, oh, I really like this at the end, but the list of shameful conditions and occurrences. I loved that. I marked all the ones that I... that Why I. Why don't you just read all of them? Okay. To live alone. Yeah. Done that. Not shameful. No, but I'm just saying all the things that I... Yeah, I'm going to comment on Oh, yeah, yeah, one. okay. To arrive at a social gathering alone. Not shameful. No. To go outside in clothing not suited to the weather. I'm always and mad at myself when I do that. Are you, so you're ashamed of yourself a little. Right. To say something that can be traced to someone else. I think I, everything. That, no, but that I feel shame when I do that. Yeah, but I think like basically everything that I say to someone else. No. Said already. No. To say something. Oops. No. To have nowhere to go on Saturday night. Every Saturday night. <laughs> I mean, literally. I mean, when did I ever have anywhere to go? To have no interest in Jacques Lacan. Couldn't tell you a thing about nope. it. It's li- you know, have, have no interest. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't know whether or not is it Lacanian psychology. I I don't know. Look, Russell and I are well, dumb boots over here. <laughs> I'll look it up. Um, to have no friends with a summer cottage. I mean. No, don't feel ashamed about that, but you're lucky if you do. Yeah, really. French psychoanalyst. Yeah, there you go. Um, to have no family. No, that's just sad. Yeah. But not shameful. But it's... actually, wait. If, like, you you seem to have no family because you're... Well, whatever. Go on. To be dirty, to smell. Yeah, you should be ashamed. I mean, I I don't mind when people. Sm- I mean, yeah, you know, like like if you like someone and they smell a little bit. It's, no, I love that, but yeah. like that's not being dirty. No, to have no interest in people. That is shameful. I I agree. That's awful. I agree. To be gossiped about. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I don't like that so much. No, I'm never. I I I don't think I'm gossiped about very much. So I mm. and I wouldn't want to be. No, me either. I sometimes get like this pang of like anxiety when I think about if I were put into a room and shown all the 
things people have said about me behind my back. Like Wait, a film. how do you... Im- oh, God. Is that like... That sounds like a movie from like the 80s. Or it would be like some <laughs> weird dystopian movie about a future where like everything's recorded. Right. Well, our lives. <laughs> well, no. But are like those movies where like... I don't know. There's some movie I think with Robin Williams where like every... Like they can take people's eyes and like see their whole... Or their brain and, like, see everything they saw. Right. Like, that's a horrible thought to me. I, like, I'm so glad that I'm spared knowing what people have said about me. Yeah. 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 That would, I mean, my life would be ruined. I'm I'm sure of it. I'd have a nervous breakdown. I think everyone's life would be ruined. Yeah, totally. There's no need for any of us to know. We don't need to know. Yeah. We don't need to know. To be sexually betrayed. Um. That is... That's like devastating, but but I don't think shameful. But there is like the feeling of shame, and they're like, I'm internally shame. I'm not good enough. Yeah, Mm. to be ignorant of current popular music. Couldn't tell you a single song in the last year. I have no shame. I'm so proud to know nothing. (laughs) To be disloyal to a friend. That's 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 shameful. shameful. And I've done it. We all have. Yeah. To gossip. Yeah, it's I I I. Yeah, we all do it. There are certain people who, after I have dinner with them, I'm like... You feel sick. I, yeah, I'm like, ugh, I'm a, that, I, that, it makes me feel yucky. Like, I feel disgusting afterwards. Yeah. I, at, the, at the time, though, I do always enjoy it. Not always. Yeah, it's true, sometimes. I actually, like, barked back at somebody recently when they started to, like, gossip about somebody. Mm. And I just was like, this is so ridiculous and, like mean and untrue yeah that i just was like no <laughs> no and i basically was like what does that matter i don't know I, I i would normally not be the person to in defense of not gossiping but right. in this one particular situation yeah i mean i feel like i'm i mean it's impossible to avoid gossiping at work yeah but i do feel like in the last six years of drama at the company, it's I've gotten lot. pretty good at being like, I don't really know about that, and I'm fine not knowing. Don't, you don't want to know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, is there more? To become middle-aged. Yeah, un- it's disgusting. Un- <laughs> it's awful. To lose shame. one's youthful beauty. That's my deepest shame. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing. I'm not sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> to be enraged. That is also when that happens to step away from it and be like, whoops. Sometimes, though, when I get really mad, I'm like thrilled that I can feel something that intensely. Like sometimes I think I'm just one time when I was younger, someone who I'm still good friends with. Called me like told told someone else that I was juiceless. And so like when I have like like a like that I was bland, basically. Juiceless. Yeah. This is a poet. Yeah. And I, like, I really, like, held on to that for a long time. And I was like, I'm a bo- I'm just a boring, I'm a very vanilla so white bread. you're one bread. of the juiciest people I know. You're always <laughs> crying. <laughs> so you must be full of some... Full of juice. Some liquid. To be inordinately ambitious. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. To have more money than your friends. Not, not a thing I've ever felt, so... To have less money than your friends. I do feel... I am at this age starting to feel some shame about that. To have less money than people. Mm, because I'm like, I'm not, I've done something wrong. Like, I haven't taken care of myself. 
I hate it. I don't understand money, to be totally frank. Same. And I feel like I should have at some point had enough self-respect to have, like, figured out that a little bit more. Because mm. now that I'm, like, into my 40s and I have nothing, I'm kind of like, oops. You know, I, I don't really, I don't want to, I don't even know where to turn, really. Right. So. Yeah, I'm- I have nothing helpful or insightful or comforting I to say. I appreciate that. I don't <laughs> want your advice. I just want to help you with your grandmother's picture book. <laughs> I hope my sister doesn't listen to this. Um, she doesn't. <laughs> don't, don't worry. And if she started this episode, there's no way she got this far. <laughs> um, to not understand what is said to you. I don't understand oh, what's said to me. I, and it does make me feel ashamed a lot. That was a feeling I had it through a lot of grad school. I'd be like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. To not recognize someone. I get mortified when I don't recognize people. I'm getting better at that because... It, it happens more and more. <laughs> I, there's still a time that haunts me where I was like out at night. It was like, the you know, it was when I had just been promoted to something. So it must have been when I was like not going out at all and was working yeah. very hard. And I was like the first time I'd been out in a long time. Someone came up to me and said like, hi, how are you? And I didn't know who they were. And then it was so loud that when they told me who they were, I said, I'm sorry, I still don't know who you are. And they got so <laughs> mad at me. No. Yeah. And I like they looked they were looked like they looked really angry. I didn't hear what they whether or not they were Did angry. Did you figure like, it out? No, I still have no idea. I think they told me they were someone's roommate, but I don't know whose. Oh, no. I know. Isn't that horrible? Well, no, because I mean, I, I think that they. That's like six years ago. They're at fault. It still haunts me to forget a name happens. Daily, yeah, especially with the COVID thing now. I'm like, I haven't seen so many people in so many years that to run into someone and then have them like pull their mask down to be like, it's me. I'm kind of like, who's me? How do I know you? You know, I'm fe- I'm right. getting more comfortable just being like, hey, what's our relationship to each other? That's good. Yeah, I'm bad at that. I would get embarrassed to lose one's powers. Yeah. There is something hard about, especially like as dance people, to find yourself in situations where you're really face to face with like, oh, I don't have that ability anymore. I've been thinking about that with Tess retiring, like how that it must feel better to end when you have your you're in con, you know you're in control of your powers. Totally. Like watching her, you know, she could easily dance for much longer. Not yeah. to say that her body hasn't changed but totally but like i i'm i'm like afraid of stopping i'm, I'm gonna need to stop because my body isn't letting me do what i want to do you anymore know. and all but that'll be that'll, stopping dancing just seems harder and harder the longer i do it like i sometimes i wish that i'd stop that when again. I was, stopping, stopping dancing seems, seems harder, harder and harder, harder the, longer the longer i do, I do it. it a phrase never uttered really i think more commonly people would say as time goes on, like, I see the end approaching. Oh, I see the end approaching. But, like, when I was younger and I thought about it, I was like, I'll be fine. Oh, and now I'm like, I'm going to be devastated. I love that. I'm glad. Because a few years ago, I thought, Russell's going to stop dancing and, like, forget instantly. <laughs> I think I wish that I could have done that. Yeah. Which is... That was, like, around the time we did that Guggenheim show. And I was like, I felt so happy to see you happy. Yeah, I was really unhappy dancing for a while. Yeah, and it was just, like, so nice to see you kind of, like, come alive. Yeah. And enjoy dancing. Yeah. Well, I think that show was, like, everything that I wanted dance to be. 
Oh, not for all of us. Yeah, I mean, because dance is never like that for me other times. Yeah. Yeah, it's all I want it to be. Yeah. Uh, I have a paragraph here with a heart next to it, and I wonder why. There's still more to the list, but I think we can finish. Oh, no, keep going. Oh, no. I love this list. To go down, to go down in the world. I don't... Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I already... I, yeah, it's like only down. <laughs> to have misfortune befall one. That's not shameful, but that's, that's just... That's hard, sad. yeah. To be bored with one's friends. I mean, I don't want to... Yeah, that's... That's more a reflection on maybe you, yeah. or... I don't know, actually. That to be like... thought of as superior to what one knows oneself to be. Oh, I understand. That's, that's interesting. Like, to have people telling you you're fantastic and to be like, but I'm not. But you really know that you're yeah, a piece of I, shit. I know that feeling. <laughs> I think we all do. To discover what one thought was common knowledge about oneself is not so. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> to basically be like, oh yeah, everyone knows that about me. And, and then, then no one does. And then nobody does. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm not so known. To discover that closely guarded information about oneself is common knowledge. Ew. I've had people like tell me things about my personality that I like thought that I was really good at hiding and have been really, that's hard. That's right. embarrassing. To know that people see you a lot clearer than you think. Like the day do. when Peter Walker was like, are you one of those people who abstains from everything? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I literally don't know you. That was incredible. Yeah. But I don't think I was ashamed. I think I was just amazed. That was, that was impressive. Wow. Were you in the room? Yeah, I was right there. Thank God. <laughs> Russell. We were, when we were in the backstage of the theater. Mm-hmm. To have one, to have less knowledge than one's students. I feel like that would be kind of, that would be hard, but exciting. Totally. And it's inevitable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, teaching must be hard. I feel like I don't know anything. You do. You just, you know, they, they, we all know different things. But I just want to read what this is. One evening, I saw the dusk in a very auspicious place, a gat on the river, a broad sluggish flux, with a wide and expanse of dry shore on one side that probably got flooded during monsoons. She's in India during this part. She oh, had that yeah, incredible I, trip to India. Right. Off to the left was the pedestrian vehicle bridge. Way to the right, a train bridge. As the light faded, the sounds and movements became isolated and enhanced, pure sensation. The women slapped their wet saris against the wet rocks. A red toy train whistled across the bridge. A bus crossing the other bridge was now in silhouette each passenger clearly outlined against the still bright evening sky. A cut-out bullet-drawn cart trundled across, trundled across. Bicycle bells slap-slapped, soft murmur of women, flat water changing color, darkening, losing their reflection, automobile lights moving across the bridge, tears came, slap-slap-slap. I like that it just kind of disintegrates into, into a words. Poem. It's yeah, really it nice. incredible. What a good writer she is. She's a great writer. Well, she... Did it so much. Are you getting to go? I have to go. No. Soon. Or else. <laughs> no, don't go. I, I think we should watch talk Christina talking pictures. Yeah, let's go to the library and do that together. Okay. And have lunch with Linda. That has a picture of Yvonne and, her, and Ivan her, in bed together. which her, makes her brother me, topless, even. Yeah, he's handsome, which makes me curious about. I'm actually curious about all of them. Yeah, me too. You Sometimes I like don't love pictures in books. I love the but pictures But these were in this great. Book. I mean, yeah. she really had the best people taking pictures of her, though. 
sorry. I'm I'm just reading through. You got so far ahead of me. I'm sorry. I forgot. I like should have taken more notes. Oh, I I was Mister Highlighter. Um, oh, this part was a. Uh, sorry. Oh, what is this? Lots of highlight. I I was just thinking about oh, something when you were this. reading the thing from India. Like what the my grandma last night. You know, she write, she's written a couple things that she's self-published mm-hmm. and she's working on something new and, and she was like trying to, she was talking to my dad about, about like they were there, she had, she had accidentally woken up. She's been having trouble or she's been sleeping too much and then was, was waking up at odd hours and she woke up and saw like the sunrise from their apartment for the first time ever. And she was like. She's like, I know that I'm the only person to have this revelation because everyone else has seen it. But she was like, who knew the light and shadows were so beautiful at that time in the city, basically. <laughs> and and my dad was like, I like looking at the light in Maine, especially, too. You know, they were talking about times when they like looking at the light. And Granny was like, don't you want to write that down? Don't you have any desire to, like, write about what you like about that? And he was like, no. But Granny was talking about why she wants to... She, it, why, like, that she does want to write down her perceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that some people really, like, want to share their experience. Their experiences, or and, capture it in some way. Right. And, and that, that makes it more meaningful just to them. To let it, like, yeah. flow through and out. My dad is really like, a, I'm going to sit here and be present for it, and that is going to be the most, that's going to make it the best for me. And my grandma, and I think I'm more like my grandma. I'm like a, we need to remember it and write it down in the best possible way so that when we tell someone else about it, then they can know also what we experienced. And it seems so much better to be like my dad. Yeah, because, I mean, I I relate to you very much in terms of like my hoarder tendencies and saving every program and wanting to like be excellent at things so that like the way my life is recorded can be like, people can be like, oh, look at the beautiful things you did. But at the same time... You know, we have, it's good to, like, remind yourself every day that, like, life is short and yeah. death is certain and and to just, like, take it in. Yeah. I like when people tell me stories, though. Like, I like... Your dad can't remember the past? No, it's not that. I don't mean... This is nothing about... I don't mean this is any commentary on my dad. I, but I like, like... But you like reading and it's all, like, perception and memory. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like I folded I closed my book I finished <laughs> you're really done you're like I gotta leave I'm the whole end of the book is highlighted for me tell me tell me more well wish I knew what anything was about only the movies can you send your mind away only in the movies can you send your mind away interesting is that true I think you can do that in dance too <laughs> you can you just don't pay attention John Cage's famous story comes to mind here about studying with Schoenberg, to whom he confessed that he had no feeling for harmony. (laughs) That's incredible. To be a person on Earth who's like, I don't relate to that. You know? That's what I... I mean, sorry, I know I talked about Carolyn Brown's memoir last time, too, but that's what I liked about hearing about John Cage and Merce Cunningham. Like, John Cage, it sounded like, actually didn't care about all the things that he said he didn't care about. 
Yeah, I think he truly... Like, um, it, w- it was such a pleasure to... Like, he seems like he must have been just a joy to be around. Well, he was very lucky because he was such an outsider in terms of the way that he perceived art and the world, and he was respected for it and like right. praised and allowed to share that experience and it was pretty te- singular and teach that yeah. experience so it made him like a very happy curious person whereas i think for a lot of people who perceive the world in a very otherly way mm-hmm. i think that can be a very isolating and sad yeah existence but john that's true yeah. john was able to like feel validated and just go like pick mushrooms and like <laughs> write music that no one wanted to hear <laughs> Do you want to look at that picture of Tucker again? <laughs> my, I, it's just like my nephew's in the snowsuit that's like almost as wide as it is long. It's so cute. That's really the most glamorous photo yet that's been taken. That's not true. There's that one where he's kind of like curled, where he looks like a bean. Like an Ann Gettys lima yeah. bean? Yeah. Exactly like that. Did you read all those parts at the end of the book where Kathleen Chalfont started to be in her films and work? Is that who was in Four Quartets? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't register that. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Oh, it's not glamorous. It's just cute. And he does look like one tiny pea, an English <laughs> pea. Look, there's Kathleen's the back of her head. Oh, yeah. Wow. She's aged well. Kathleen is in Yvonne's work, her film works that Russell didn't like reading about. <laughs> it's, um, I think it's just I had such little, so little... So few reference points. I have a fantasy about a new piece of choreography for four women, such as Stravinsky's Agon. The women approximate some of the moves from the Balanchine classic. Like, isn't this Netta's piece? Mm, sort of. Somewhere in the middle of it, a horde of people rushes from stage right, each brandishing a fork or sharp <laughs> knife, screaming. They pour across the stage and disappear into the opposite wings. I was like, that's a good dance. <laughs> I mean, I guess Netta's um, like, Agon approximations were very specific though yeah it was a very it was yeah. more academic approach not a yeah, yeah. comic commentary right um, a feminist comedy um so this is the very i'll read you the last passage of the book so we can leave yvonne um until we talk about our movie right the mind works in mysterious ways even stranger than the body the body declines the mind continues to extrude language I look forward to the perambulations of both mind and body in the next decade. It follows, then, that this epilogue can be read as another prologue. So nice. I mean... I hope she's been working on the next one. <laughs> I imagine she's actually surrounded by people who are making sure... They're doing it, it for it. Yeah. Doing it for it. I mean, it. I'm sure she's, she's such a good writer. I'm yeah. sure she's doing it. But, like, with an artist like Yvonne, whose work is so followed and cataloged and revered in the art world like she is being supported by academics and artists who are going to make sure that Mm. there's more information i mean yvonne doesn't have anything like yvonne is not a person of means right she still lives like uptown in a little apartment with her partner like she doesn't have anything yeah so at any rate maybe Oh, wouldn't it be fun if we watch film and then we have Nick Mouse on and talk about it? Because Nick has worked with Yvonne as a performer and has interviewed her for the work that he's doing. And um, I think he'd be way smarter than us. It's crazy. (laughs) I I mean, 
Two Idiots Talking About Yvonne Rayner <laughs> is the title of this episode. <laughs> title of that, Two, two idiots. idiots Talk About Yvonne Rayner. Two Idiots Guess what, Who Lacan Was. <laughs> <laughs> that does feel like something I should know. But I don't care. Is that bad? Should I care? No. I think you have to care about what you care about, as they always say in grad school. <laughs> Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Well, I'm paying attention to how I met your father right now on Hulu. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, I do love Hillary Duff. <laughs> and for now, that's important to you. Yeah, and I'm paying attention to shoe re- shoe restoration videos. <laughs> shoe restoration. Oh yeah, and beads. Your beads are very beautiful, and I, I think making strings of beads is inherently existential. You know. Sure. Because it's just one thing after the next and figuring out, like, what's the next logical right. step. Yeah, if anyone um, wants to buy me beads, I'll make them a, a bracelet or a necklace. Oh, yeah, we're going to start an Instagram where we place the beads on mysterious parts of Russell's body and take pictures. I have to stop giving them away, though, because I this is the only one I have. Yeah, how much was that, you think, in terms of beads? I don't know. Like a simple bracelet. Two or three dollars. For all those beads? Yeah, because I got... I got a couple strands for like $17. Oh, wow. You know, my mom used to work at an African import store in Soho, and she her favorite job was to be in the back stringing together be- necklaces. Oh, that's nice. Because they had so many beads. Wow, that's yeah. fun. Anyways, today Russell gave me um, a gift, which is um, a silver chain with a slightly eaten um, Pop-Tart on it. But Made a tiny like one. Polymer clay. A little model of a Pop-Tart. And it's meant to smell like a Pop-Tart, but it smells like gross candy. Yeah, it smells like medicinal candy, but I love it. And I gave Russell a gift that he found um, that I think he hates. I think he thought it was an act of violence against him. I did not. (laughs) But I can't wait to see it on the mantelpiece, and I'll take a picture and post it on the Instagram. Yeah. Russell, thank you. Thanks. Sorry, I feel like I had less, less things to say about the second half. Oh, Less I think thoughts. it was exactly as bad as, as the meaningless yeah. as the first time we <laughs> talked about the book. Just there's so much more, and I encourage you all to read the book. Oh yeah, it's really wonderful. Yeah, it's not just like educational, although Russell and I chose to not educate ourselves. <laughs> but um, it's also just an incredible life story. Yeah, it's a really. It, I mean, I I know I said it before, but I really love how she told her story too because it's really told in multiple ways simultaneously she tells it's like she includes the way that she was telling her story then in her journals and in letters she includes like reflections and then she includes her film scripts essentially which is other versions of her telling episodes from her life and that's really sorry (laughs) we just licked the pop tart it doesn't taste like how it smells (laughs) But I think that, that I think it's like a really innovative way to tell a story. Totally, she's an incredibly thoughtful artist. Yeah, and um, read the book. Yeah, Russell's um Sarah, Russell's mom. If you're listening, she's not. <laughs> you're gonna send her this episode, <laughs> and she's gonna read this book. I think um, my I think my grandma would actually really like it. Oh great! Yeah, and she can. It'll be like after she watched the movie L, and she'd be like, "I'll never be the same." <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're how old is your grandmother? I don't know, she just had a birthday in her eighties. Early eighties. Early. Mid, early mid mid. Okay. I like that your early mid eighties grandmother is still evolving. 
Yeah. Both my grandmothers are open to all sorts of thoughts that many of my contemporaries are not open to. Oh, shocked by even. Yeah. (laughs) Um, anyways, thank you. Yeah. And you'll be back. I will. Oh my God. Hopefully this podcast will be yours soon. (laughs) (laughs) Good night and good luck, everybody. We loves you. Oh,